Hello, good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of the Big at the Back podcast. I'm Tom. I'm here, as usual, with Matt. Matt, how are you doing on this lovely summer solstice evening? Uh, it's quite warm in this room, uh, so I'm pretty sweaty. I've just finished cleaning stuff up in the garden as well, so that was a bad idea. Um, but other than that, I am pretty damn good. Uh, we're gradu- like slowly crawling towards the weekend. It feels like it's, I don't know how it's only Tuesday as we're recording this, but other than that, yeah, I can't complain. How are you? How has, uh, how's week one of Benny life been? Oh, it's been crazy. Yeah, I don't know how it's only Tuesday. It feels like this week has already gone on forever. Um, but yeah, Benny's great. It's just, he's suddenly in the last few days just, got a lot more energy it may be because he's fully used to his surroundings but uh yeah um eight and a half to nine week old puppy is certainly it's not as bad as i thought and he slept for the whole night last night which was the first time but it's still a lot of work when they're so nippy as well um so <laughs> yeah it's totally worth it but still tiring but more importantly before we dive into this week's topic i have for the first time got coffee pods that aren't coffee pods. They're the hot chocolate pods, and I'm having a, two Malteser ones in one cup at the moment, and they are incredible. So I just had to make that announcement before we got started because Malteser hot chocolate pods, guys, well done. I'm sure you're listening. I can't, I can't believe you haven't brought me one um, for the pod. We could try it like this. This could be our first sponsorship we, if we make this pods happen. On the pods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pods on pods. I love it. That's, we, we'll, we'll get it out on Twitter. We'll make it happen. <laughs> I'm sure no one's thought of it before. The word pod and pod no. together. Oh, it's like when Pitbull rhymes Kozak with Kozak, isn't it? <laughs> Genius. You can't deny it. Right. So, big at the back, episode 21. We're still in the off season. Loads of other content creators are doing FPL stuff. Frankly, neither of us really want to think about FPL right now. And next week, we are finally doing the season review with the North v South guys. So this week, we thought we'd bring more football content. In particular, we were discussing what to do, and we thought we could probably have a good debate about the best Premier League players or the best Premier League team of all time. So a Premier League all-time eleven. Now, I've got a name and a name in brackets for every single position, but we're looking at a 4-4-2 formation. And to give some clarity, neither Matt nor I have discussed any of our picks with each other before we started. Yeah, so as we always do, we don't run anything by each other first because that way we can sort of react as we hear it and then hopefully... Uh, as, as was the case a little bit more last week uh, with our one one player that should leave every Premier League club, hopefully there will be some debate to be had around this. Um, I haven't gone for a backup in every position. I've got a few backups um, just because there's some that I think there is an outstanding candidate and that's the only one I'd go for. But yeah, um, it was it was a, some of them were fairly straightforward for me, um, but others were definitely t- taking some time to really nail down who I thought was of the spot in the team. Yeah, agreed. Um, one note as well, we're not including any current players. So I actually think there's a few current players that do get into this team. Mo Salah, Virgil van Dijk, arguably, both in with a shout. Kevin De Bruyne, by the end of his career, will very likely be in this team as well. But none of them 
are in the all-time 11 as of right now. This is retired players only. Yeah, um, and not to spoil too much, but all I'll say is it's a good job Mark Noble retired at the end of last season. <laughs> Mark Noble up front on his own. <laughs> cool. He's in there for penalties, surely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, our team should hopefully be winning a lot, so we'll see. So, <laughs> yes, let's start with the goalkeeper. Who have you gone for between the sticks? Uh, so, this is one I have put a backup down for, um, but... For me, there's always been, and this guy, as a goalkeeper myself, has always been my favourite goalkeeper. When I was growing up, he was the person that I really idolised. And I just think he changed goalkeeping quite a lot as well. And that's Peter Schmeichel. Um, he was fantastic in those late eight, late 90s, um, even into the early 2000s, obviously part of the Man United treble winning team. And the way... It, he just made it so difficult for anyone to get past him. He made himself so big. And that came from his background uh, playing handball uh, and the way handball goalkeepers would make themselves so big. Um, he was dominated, like he dominated his defence. Uh, I'm pretty sure if you asked him on a football pitch, he never made a mistake. He always blamed his defence whenever anything went wrong. That's exactly what a good goalkeeper should do. Nice. Um, I found this one very tricky because there were three names that I was thinking of. Um, so the first was Schmeichel. The second was David Seaman, who I thought was brilliant. Um, but the one I went for was Hesse Czech, who I'm sure is probably the other name you had done. And the reasoning is, honestly, I didn't watch a whole lot of Peter Schmeichel. What I watched, I thought he was brilliant. But I think Hesse Czech is the best goalkeeper we've ever seen in the Premier League. He's got the most clean sheets in the league by far. He's got 206, whereas Schmeichel has 128. Um, and even now, he's so far ahead of anyone else. He was in goal for that Chelsea side that conceded about eight goals for a whole season, which is, in my mind, the greatest achievement of a Premier League team over a season. Fuck the Invincibles. Um, but, <laughs> they just drew for fun. That was yeah, my like, <laughs> biggest myth in football that the Invincibles are one of the best teams. Um, yeah, I think for me, it was Petr Cech, but as you're a goalkeeper, if I haven't convinced you, I'm happy to go with your thoughts here. Yeah, no, don't get me wrong. Czech, like you say, was the other name I had down here. Uh, like you say, by far and away the most clean sheets of any goalkeeper in Premier League history. Uh, the only active keeper that is in the top 10 is David De Gea, and he's still like 90 behind. Um, mm. So he's well far off the pace. Um, I'm going to pull rank here. I'm a goalkeeper, so we're going with Peter Schmeichel. Um, but... Yeah, I just think the way he sort of changed the game a little bit when it came to goalkeeping um, and what he achieved with that Man United side winning that treble, he was a massive part of that. And some some of the games, like there was a particular game against Newcastle, I think it was in the 98 season, when he was just unstoppable. Nothing was getting past him. Obviously, Czech, I feel he was more integral in that Man United side, whereas I think Chelsea's defence in general was just incredible, whereas the Man United defence, as good as it was, was nowhere near the level of that Chelsea defence of uh, like the 2005 era. Oh, I'm not sure about that. You've got to think Yapsham was there. Um, uh, Gary Neville was there. Uh, I, I don't know. I think the defences are similar. I think Chelsea's was slightly better, though. And I'm happy for Michael to go there. As I said, I think what he did for goalkeeping was awesome. Looking at the defence then, let's start with left-back. Now, I think there's a few players that do deserve mentioning, and that's 
Patrice Evra, I thought was awesome when he played. Uh, Dennis Irwin was as good a right back as left back and all consistently brilliant. Um, but I think the, the name that I expect you've got down as well was Ashley Cole. This one, in my mind, does pick itself essentially part of the Invincibles and then part of the much better Chelsea side afterwards. I think what he's achieved on the football pitch, despite the fact that he's a massive bellend, is breathtaking. Yeah, I think this one, like you say, it pretty much picks itself. There were a couple of other candidates that, like you mentioned, but he was always going to be be the one in this team. He, I mean, you could, there's probably an argument that by the end of their careers, there's a couple of current players, Robertson included, um, who will probably push him. But what he did, uh, he was fantastic for, like you say, both Arsenal and Chelsea um, and England as well. He was one of the standout players in that golden generation. So I think he, he picked himself um, a little bit of a swan song over in America to finish his career off, which obviously most people did in that sort of era. But um, for his longevity, like it was around 2000, he made his first team debut for... Arsenal, and then all the way through to, I think, about 2013-14. So it was a good, long career in the Premier League, and it was as good going forward as he was coming back. Yeah, he didn't score many goals, but he could whip in a really, really good ball. Um, no, he yeah. was from that era where very, like, wing-backs were nowhere near as... Well, they were attacking, but not in a goal-threat sense. It was more crosses. Um, so just looking now, he got... 19 goals in his club career uh, in 508 games. Yeah, I think uh, in that era as well, it was very much the goals were coming from the two forwards and the, and the right mid and the left mid. Um, they were the only position, and some from the centre, depending on who you had there. But they were the only positions that were goal-scoring positions in that era, I think. Yeah, and then you like in that Chelsea side, you obviously had Lampard as well, who just got so many goals with those late <laughs> runs into the box. And I'd hazard a bet that quite a few of those crosses would have come from fullbacks with his yeah. late runs just getting on the end of them. Totally agree. Um, should we look at right back then? And um, again, I think this one is one that we probably won't have much debate over, but you go first. Yeah, I think um I mean, no one grows up wanting to be a right back, do they? So there's there's <laughs> there's there's not many to pick from in this instance. There's there was a few that came to mind, but I think Gary Neville was the outstanding candidate. Um, again, we can talk about all the accolades he got across his career at Manchester United, uh, and he was a one-club man as well. Um, so, I, for me, yeah, this one there was no real contest. Yeah, I agree. I think Ivanovic played really well there for Chelsea for a long time. He was in the Premier League for about twelve years in all, and Zabaleta for City was excellent as well. But I'm, I'm picking those names there. I think they're both below Gary Neville. I think he's what. Uh, definitely nailed in to this team, as is Ashley Cole, or he's as nailed in as Cole was. Yeah, I think, and, and similarly to, like I said, like with Cole on the left, we're obviously blessed with a plethora of talented right-backs in the Premier League at the moment, um, and I would put good money on in 10, 15 years' time that there will be two or three candidates potentially ahead of Neville uh, if we were doing the same thing then, but... Um, so far, I don't think anyone's particularly come close. He was very good defensively. Uh, he worked like he had obviously working with David Beckham on the right hand side for most of his career. Uh, what a partnership they had! Um, so it, would, it just makes sense that he would be the one and only real candidate for this team. Yeah, I totally agree. 
Shall we talk about the centre-back pairing then? Because there's yeah, this is where it's going to get a little bit more contentious. I feel, yeah. although we probably if we've got the same thing, but there's so many more to pick from here. Yeah, so I I think the first name on this team sheet, as much as Rio Ferdinand didn't put him in the top five, um, it's got to be John Terry. I think what he was brilliant at the back. He marshaled that Chelsea defence and was the leader there, England captain as well. What he was really good at was he started so much of Chelsea's attacking moves, just clipping the ball over that midfield line into the forward's feet. He was an absolute master at um, I haven't seen anyone do it as well as him since Van D- until Van Dijk came to Liverpool. I think they are the two best ball-playing centre-backs the Premier League scene. So I think John Terry needs to be the first name in the team sheet here. Yeah, he's straight in there for me. Uh, I think in, in my team, oh, I don't know, it's hard. If, if I look at my whole 11, he's probably my captain. Um, <laughs> I think he was a real leader at the back. Um you say what you want about him personally, and I will leave that for another day. We're not talking purely about that. On the pitch. All and only. Yeah, purely on the pitch. He was absolutely fantastic. He's also the top scoring centre-half in Premier League history as well with 41 goals. So he obviously provides a big aerial threat from set pieces. Yeah, um, I think he was as good as they come as centre-back, so he needs to be top one there. The other one is so contentious because there are so many good centre-backs that have been in the Premier League. Um, You had Carvalho, who partnered Terry. You had Tony Adams, who was a brilliant defender. Alan Shearer said the best he ever played against. You've got uh, Rio Ferdinand and Nemanja Vidic, who were a brilliant partnership. I don't particularly rate Vidic that highly. I think Ferdinand covered a lot of his flaws, but Vidic was the bully in that defence. But I think Ferdinand should definitely have been there. The name I've gone for is Vincent Company, however, who I think was could do everything, a real leader, was a lot more understated of a leader than, say, Terry, but always popped up when it mattered, scored that goal that basically got them the title from Liverpool, um, the season where we both got over 100 points. I think Vincent Company was a true leader, but a leader by example and a world-class centre-back. So that's why, for me, he just about edges out Adams and Ferdinand, although it was a very tough call. Yeah, this one was definitely the, probably the toughest, um, although the strikers probably as well, sorry. Um, but this one here, um, I actually led towards Ferdinand uh, in my eleven um, purely... I mean, Terry, I think, had ability with the ball at his feet, but I think Ferdinand was the better ball-playing centre-half. Um, he was so classy of a centre-half as well. Like, you you could be, like, you wouldn't have been unheard of to see him slot into, like, a midfield role at times as well. Like, he, I think he was very good with the ball at his feet, but he was quick. He could cover back very well as well. Um all the other names you mentioned as well, I were all in my thoughts. Um, Sol Campbell was in there as well. Um, it, 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 getting purely for shithousery for leaving Spurs and going to Arsenal. Um, but yeah, I just led towards Ferdinand. But um, I think on the balance of things, I'm happy to be persuaded to all company on this one. Um, I think you've made a very good argument for him there, um, what he did in that City side. Just a bit of a shame that towards the end he, he suffered with more injuries. Um, I think it sort of ended on a bit of a sour note. Not sour note, but a downer. Um, 
It'll be interesting to see how he gets on in management as well. Maybe he'll be back in the Premier League this time next year with Burnley. Yeah, well, I'll have to wait and see on that one. Um, first things first, I don't think classy is a word that you can associate with Rio Ferdinand, a guy that cheated on his dead wife. Um, but more... Hi. Hi. I, we said on the pitch. <laughs> on the pitch, okay. Um, and she wasn't dead, she was just dying. <laughs> you can't cheat on someone that's dead. That makes it totally better. <laughs> <laughs> um, I... Yeah, do think company, and the reason is he came into Man City when they weren't winning anything. Yeah, they just had the influx of cash, but he was there from the very start, and he was a huge reason that they became the powerhouse that they are now. Um, he essentially drove them to that title win, as well as a few other players we're going to discuss. But I think he does warrant a place there over Rio Ferdinand. Yeah, I, I will happily um, concede on that one. Although it would have been very funny to have an 11 with Terry and Ferdinand as the two centre-halves. I was just thinking that. Should we go uh, <laughs> midfield of Beckham, Gerard, Lampard, Scholes, <laughs> Rooney, Owen Heskey? Just completely <laughs> golden generation. Um, cool. Let's move on to the midfield then. And let's start with the left midfield spot. Is this is this one you're going to fight me on? I expect so. Because I have gone for... Speaking of people with less than stellar off-the-field antics, <laughs> um, <laughs> Ryan, Giggs, Ryan Giggs takes my spot on the left. Um, undoubtedly one of the best players in his position, potentially of all time for me. Um 632 appearances in his Premier League career. Um, the most assists by a long way, 162. Um, he's like 50 clear of second place. Uh, a good record of one every four games as well, which is up there with um, the likes of, well, I won't say names because we might come on to them later, but if you look at like Kevin De Bruyne, he's got the best ratio um, of 0.41. Ryan Giggs is 0.26. His longevity, everything he won across his career. Um, that's why I've gone in uh, for him. And I always wonder what could have happened with England's golden generation if Giggs was English. So this is where we disagree, I think. Um, we just spoke before about how all the goals in this era came from the left mid, the right mids and the two forwards. Giggs averaged six goals a season. Um, for a left mid playing in the best team in the country for so long, he really wasn't very good at it. Um, he was very good at a lot of the jobs, but in terms of the goal-scoring aspects, he wasn't. Now, did he need to? Not necessarily. He was more an industry player. But does being an industry player get you into this eleven? For me, no. I think there's two names in the left that should be ahead of gigs, in my opinion, and that is uh, Robert Perez, who I haven't gone for, but I thought was wonderful. Um, but the name I've gone for is David Silva, who I think is probably the most underrated player in Premier League history and was absolutely majestic for his entire time at City. Alongside Vincent Company, he basically came in when they were at the very beginning of their journey and drove them to that first bout of success. I think he was wonderful. Uh, Jurgen Klopp always said he was the one player in the Premier League who he thought was the best. 
And yeah, for me, it's David Silva in that left mid spot. Oh, this is going to be a tough one. I don't know how oh. we're going to read this one. Because oh. I, I, I love David Silva. Don't get me wrong. Um, he was fantastic. Um, he was pure class on the football pitch, like silky touch. Um, he is another one that I was talking about on this assists. His assists ratio is roughly the same. It's a little bit better than Giggs's, um, but they're roughly the same. Um, the like, the main reason for me for Giggs is his longevity. Uh, if you look at him, he started in the first season of the Premier League, 92-93, um, and assisted in every single one of his seasons. Um, he didn't score in every single one. I think it was like the last season or the penultimate season, he didn't score a goal. I do get your argument um, about his lack of goals throughout his career. Um, it was never really the strength in his game, like you say. Um it was more about his assists, his crossing, his up and down the wing. Um, I think he offers you more defensively than David Silva did, uh, but that's more of a, a sign of... Silva was more of an out-and-out -out winger, like a higher up the pitch, whereas Giggs was more of a traditional left mid rather than a left winger. Yeah, well, I really... I just think David Silva needs to be inside. Uh, that, we'll go Giggs and you'll owe me one. Uh, yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, right mid. Now, there's for me, at right mid, there's two names that stand out. And that's David Beckham and Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, now, admittedly, Ronaldo has come back to the Premier League as a striker and he played as a striker for Real Madrid. But in his early days, he was a right mid and he was... People forget how good he was for that United side. He was sensational for three or four years. Um, Beckham, best crosser of the ball I have ever seen. Um, as much as I sing Trent's praises right now and love him, I think Beckham is the best I've ever seen on the ball with the ball at his feet in terms of whipping a ball in. But for me, because I prefer his style of play, I've gone for Ronaldo there. It was a position I found quite tough, so I'm interested to hear what your thoughts were on it. Well, it's interesting. Um, I I went Beckham, but that is, and I know he's not playing as a midfielder now, but Cristiano Ronaldo is still active in the Premier League, so it depends yeah. on where you fall on that argument. Oh, Obviously, he's not he's yeah. he's not a right midfielder anymore. He is a striker, mm. um, um, so I sort of discounted him on that. The other thing for me with Beckham over Ronaldo was, again, he did it over a much wider, uh, longer time frame. Um, Ronaldo's real, had a good, like, he was unstoppable for those two or three years at United. Um, but Beckham was at United for, like, that golden period of the late 90s. Um, although, I haven't actually looked, it's, it is surprising that Beckham has only played 39 more Premier League games than Cristiano Ronaldo. Um but obviously, he yeah. had that falling out with Ferguson, went off to Madrid, all that. If he was stayed at United for all that part of his career as well, God knows how many uh, assists and goals he would have picked up. I completely agree with what you said as well about his crossing. Best crosser of all I've seen. Yeah. I, I'll i be honest, because I was thinking of him as a right mid, not a forward, I forgot that he still technically fits into our rule. So I, <laughs> I think it is Beckham by default. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sad about putting Beckham there at all. I'm more than happy to do that. Because, uh, as we said, uh, David Beckham, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful footballer. 
also scored the most direct free kicks in Premier League history with 18. Um, James Ward-Prowse coming up in second, though. Yeah, he is indeed. Um, But Beckham scored them at a much better rate in terms of per game. I don't know what it is in terms of per free kick, but uh, Beckham has won every 0.068 games and James Ward-Prowse has won every 0.046 games. Yeah, his dead ball was brilliant. We all remember the goal against Greece. Um, But then looking at the central midfield, because we're going with Beckham on the right. Now, I'm sorry, I'm going to pull rank here and say there's no... Steven Gerrard is the first name there. I mean, the class of 92, it's all a man you guys did their team and they all put Gerrard as the first name. The match of the day guys all put Gerrard as the first name. There's a Peter Crouch clip where he's saying... Lampard was an amazing goal-scoring midfielder, but Gerrard's better. Xabi Alonso was the, an amazing passer of the ball, but Gerrard was better. Paul Scholes had amazing vision, but Gerrard was better. Gerrard was better than every specialist in their specialist area, and he could do everything. And it was said by every previous pundit, every player that ever played with him, he was the gold standard. He never won the Premier League, which is always something that is going to be used against him. But as a player, he is the best central midfielder we've seen in the league, in my opinion, and most people's opinion. Well, I'm going to let you have this one. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't get me wrong. He was, he was the first midfielder that went down for me as well. Uh, yeah. 92 assists, 120 goals. Um, also another great leader uh, in the Premier League as well. Probably the best player to not win a Premier League title um, that's been there for any real period of time. Um, you do always wonder what could have happened because there was always the rumour of him going to Manchester United. Uh, it looked Chelsea. like it was going to happen. Or Chelsea. Like, it looked like it was going to happen at one point. Um, but obviously didn't. And he stayed there for all of his Premier League career with Liverpool. And obviously there was the infamous slip and what could have happened if if that didn't happen. I feel like he did deserve a Premier League winner's medal. Mm. Uh, it's just a shame that it just never really happened for him. Uh, obviously things are going fairly well for him in management at the moment as well. Maybe he can rectify it and get a manager winner winning medal as a manager one day. Yeah, I, I think he was an easy pick. And you're right, the slip did cost him. One thing to say against Gerrard uh, is that he did on occasion, particularly in his younger days, have a bit of a temper and get sent off uh, needlessly. I actually remember there was one game against Man U that Brendan Rodgers kept him on the bench for. He was so angry that when he came on, he got sent off almost straight away. So he yeah, did that was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching that in the pub and it was, it was literally in like the first minute of him coming on. He just absolutely went in on... Oh, I can't even remember who it was now. It's one of the other midfielders. But yeah, it was great. I blame Brendan Rodgers for that, to be honest. Um, but I think Gerard did have that in his locker, and it's, he, he did take a while to mature into the captaincy role uh, that was thrusting him probably too early. But when he was there, he was majestic at it. So, yeah, Gerard for me was the first name. Who have you gone for the second name? Um, well, I'm sure you'll be pleased to know it's not Paul Scholes. Uh, as good as I think Paul Scholes was, um, he did, like you said, when you were talking about Gerard, his vision was incredible. And the one thing that always got with Paul Scholes is when he retired and then came back 
and he looked like he hadn't missed a beat. Um, he was he, he, he was just class. But for me, the the second name is Lampard. Um, there was all this debate for England. You can't play Gerard and Lampard together. You can. Um, you just can. Uh, you look at Lampard. He's the top scoring midfielder in Premier League history as well, with 177 goals. Um, add 102 assists to that as well. I just don't think, um, other than Gerard, I don't think there's another great name out there um, that can really touch these two when it comes to Premier League. Like, you could, there's other names in there. Mark Noble's obviously up there. <laughs> but in terms of their whole Premier League career, I just think Lampard and Gerard are the two best central midfielders. There's other probably more creative midfielders. I wouldn't say either of these are the most creative players, um, but they are pure, like engines, box-to-box midfielders, get on the end of balls, make things happen. And both of them had an absolute thunder bastard in their locker as well. Agreed. And I felt really uncomfortable leaving Frank Lampard out, but he's not the second name I've gone for in this. I think... It's Mark Noble, isn't it? (laughs) It's Mark Noble. I'm joking, it's John Joe Shelby. Um, (laughs) I think Patrick Vieira... Definitely, he was in there for me as well. And the reason is, he was captain of that invincible side. He was unplayable for five years, six years, better than Keane in that position, in my opinion. I think Vieira was pure class. He dominated games completely. Um, he beat up Roy Keane at one point. So that's it. <laughs> um, <but> yeah, I, <laughs> I had Patrick Vieira or... Cesc Fabregas because he threw a pizza at Sir Alex Ferguson. (laughs) Those are the two Uh, other names. Oh, and Yaya Torre, I think, deserves a mention as well. I think he's the bracket below, but he definitely deserves a mention in that category. Um, On Paul Scholes, you're right. I think he he was brilliant in the twilight of his career, but people forget he wasn't nearly as good for the duration of his career. Career. He wasn't good enough to play in that centre mid role for Man U for most of it. He was shoved to the right mid or to like various other positions. Left mid, actually, I think he played a lot. He wasn't good enough to get into the England side over Gerald and Lampard either. Um, so I think Skull's twilight of his career, phenomenal, had a great ending. For, but for most of it, he was just not nearly at of the level that was required. Um, but back to the topic at hand, Vieira, Frank Lampard. I... I'm happy to go with Lampard, even though Gerard and Lampard... I mean, if they'd have had a good manager for England, things would have been different. But... I was actually uh, an interesting thing earlier. Um, bear in mind, you do have one in the bank here. So if you want to pull rank and go with Vieira, I won't won't get in your way. I do think that gives it probably gives a slightly better balance to the side as well. Um, if you've got a Gerard and a Vieira, because he is more defensively minded. Um, I did actually watch an interesting video earlier. Um, it was actually about Glenn Hoddle as a manager and what happened with him and when he was sacked uh, as England manager and what he could have done if he was England manager in the golden generation because he saw Ferdinand as more of a sweeper in a back three, which is and England played a back three at 98. Um, and would we have gone with, say, uh, Ferdinand, Campbell, Terry, then wing-backs... And then you could have got Gerard Scholes and Lampard all in that midfield three together. Um, would have been an interesting idea. I mean, there's a lot of talent in there. Um, obviously, we never one of those big what ifs, and we'll never quite know 
It's amazing how many of the golden generation we're chatting about just shows how good these players are and how good England's had it in terms of talent. Unfortunately, just no competent management and it feels very similar now. Um, no, I, I <laughs> do think Lampard does deserve to be in this squad. and I, I felt really weird and awkward leaving him out. I just thought Vieira was so good. He needed to mention. But yeah, Gerard and Lampard's in the middle. Vieira was fantastic. There's no doubt about that. He was an absolute hard bastard as well. Mm. Um, Just to go back to that Gerard red card, it was 38 seconds, uh, (laughs) that red card. And it was uh, a challenge on Ander Herrera. I forgot he existed. Um, Brilliant. Still Is he he in France or something, right? Uh, I don't know if he's still at PSG, but at least he was at PSG. Uh, I remember him going to PSG. And I think he moved from PSG to another French club. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, so, the hardest part, which is the forwards. And I texted you earlier saying there's four names who are absolutely must-haves for two slots. And even though there's four names, there's another 10 I could put down because the Premier League has been blessed with so many great forwards over the years. Who have you gone for in the middle? Um, so yeah, it's so hard this one. Um, there have been so many good strikers over the years, um, and it it feels a bit disgusting because I haven't gone for Alan Shearer, who is the top scorer in Premier League history. Um, but I just think it was almost a bit. It was an easier too league. much of a goal scorer, and it was like an easier. Much easier league when he was banging loads of goals. Like you had teams that you could just whitewash 8 0 without trying. It's not like the Premier League as it was in later years when it's actually competitive in every match. So, yeah. And the only thing that I do give Shearer credit for is again, um, he, he spent most of his career at Newcastle, mm. um, who were a good side, but they weren't a title winning side. Uh, his only title coming there when he was playing at Blackburn. So, Mm-hmm. Um, Newcastle had a couple of chances, really good chances in the in like the like ninety seven, ninety eight sort of time when they had a couple of chances, and Keegan had his meltdown. And I would love it if we beat them. Um, but yeah, Shearer doesn't quite make it for me. Um, another name I felt a little bit disgusting leaving out is Sergio Aguero. Um, he has one of the best records in terms of goals per game. Um, what he did at City, he was unbelievable, unplayable at times. Um, and obviously, you, you heard it in our intro, that moment of winning that that Premier League title with the last game of the season. But the two I've gone for are Thierry Henry and Wayne Rooney. <laughs> oh, let's just give up. Let's just stop recording, shall we? Oh, um, same. Oh, obviously, same. And it... I had the four names that were absolute must-haves that I had down were Wayne Rooney, I think. We'll, we'll come on to him in a minute. Thierry Henry. And Thierry Henry, I actually crossed out the name Aguero that I'd written down in, initially and put Henry down because I, I really wanted Aguero in so badly, but I couldn't justify him over Henry. Um, I think Wayne Rooney was actually the first name I put down. There's so many names that are good enough to be in there. Luis Suarez... Uh, if, Still playing, but not in the Premier League. Uh, Didier Drogba, Alan Shearer, like as we just mentioned, he's still got a hat full of goals. Robin Van Persie, Ruud van Nistelrooy, Dennis Burkham, Eric Cantona. There are 
there have been so many iconic and brilliant forwards in the Premier League era. Um, so I found it really, really difficult. And Fernando Torres was arguably the best player in the world when he was in the Premier League as well. There's so many options, but for me, Rooney is the best playmaking forward we have seen in the Premier League. He was, you could have played him as anywhere in, on the pitch and he would have been wonderful. Uh, Thierry Henry, what I love about Thierry Henry, and it's a similar actually to what I love about Mo Salah now, is he thinks one move ahead of everyone else on the pitch. He is always thinking a little bit further ahead. I saw him do some punditry where if he's got two banks of four in front of him, then he won't see two banks of four, eight players. He'll just see the player directly ahead of him and the players directly behind him and think, I only need to beat two players and I get through. I don't need to beat eight. And it is the way he thought about the game and the way he acted upon those thoughts quicker than everyone else that I thought was absolutely phenomenal. So, yeah, I think Omri is, you can't leave out of this team. Wayne Rooney, uh, I think, speaks for himself and his record speaks for itself. Yeah, I think Omri was probably one of the most elegant players in Premier League history. Like when he was in full flight with the ball at his feet, it was just a thing of absolute beauty. Um, you look at Rooney, his stats, I think it's 208 goals and 103 assists. Like those are incredible numbers for both. Um, later in his career, a little bit, he almost dropped a little bit deeper, yeah. um, like you said, and was so creative. Like one goal that, and another name you mentioned, Evan Percy, that Rooney played against Villa. He was so deep in his own half, pinged the ball over the top of the back four, and Van Percy met it on the volley from about 23 yards uh, into the bottom corner. Like his vision and his eye for a pass was so good. Um, with Rooney, you will, despite his incredible numbers, it always feels like a bit of a what if as well. Like you feel like he. He, I feel like he didn't have the same work ethic as a, as a Ronaldo or a Messi or someone like that. And you always wonder if he did and he looked after himself the way they did, how much further could he have gone? Um, mm. Like He burst onto the scene. Euro 2004 was incredible there. Um, had his injury worries like in 2006 with his foot. Um, but his longevity, he's England's top goal scorer, as things stand, not for much longer. Um, but yeah, and, and Omri, I just think not the top scorer, not one of the top, top scorers. I think he's seventh in the Premier League scoring charts. But in terms of what he did in the time he was there, um, mm. he's played a lot less games than most of the names above him in that list. Yeah. One thing we, I think is worth mentioning, though, and you can tell me if I'm being biased here as a Liverpool fan, but Luis Suarez, in terms of pure genius, uh, I don't think we've ever seen anything like it in the Premier League. Uh, terrible human, of course, but again, this is about footballing ability and some of the goals he scored are some of the best we have ever seen in the Premier League. Um, and the guy's creativity was better than anyone else on that list. But as we said, he was only in the Premier League for about three or four years. He then went to Barcelona and, and is now their second highest goal scorer of all time. So sheer, sheer quality there. But uh, yeah, I find it really... I find it really hard leaving out the likes of Burkamp, Robin Van Persie, more so than I do Alan Shearer. Because as you said, despite the number of goals Shearer scored and despite the sheer volume of goals he scored, 
I just think that if he'd have been if he'd have been in a later era, he wouldn't be anywhere near those kind of numbers. Whereas the others did do it when the Premier League was very very strong. Yeah, I agree. I'm surprised you haven't mentioned Michael Owen at any point during this conversation as well. Like, don't get me wrong, he's I wouldn't put him on the same echelon, but mm. his what he did in the time he was there, 150 goals in 326 games. Um, and when he did come on the scene as a youngster, like 18 years old, 17, 18 years old, I'll always remember that goal against Argentina in 98 as well. Like, it, again, he's one that you're a bit like, if injuries didn't really ravage the second mm-hmm. half of his career, he probably could have gone much further and done much better. Um, plus, he obviously had the stint in Madrid as well, which sort of took him out of the Premier League for a few years. Well, he was actually very good in Madrid when he played. Uh, he played really yeah. well. Yeah. I loved Michael Owen. He was my childhood hero growing up. And I think if you look at his record, he was phenomenal. What I really liked about him as well is I listened to his autobiography and the way he studied and practiced so relentlessly and consistently, even as a child, he would take one shot on the left foot. If it was one-on-one with a goalkeeper, he would try 10 shots at different times where it would be the chip finish. 10 where it would be the dink finish, 10 where it would be the place finish. And he'd look, okay, how many out of each did I score? Seven with a chip, nine with a dink, four with a left foot, three with three in the corner. And he basically used that to determine how he would score goals. And so ruthlessly efficient. And that's why he always did the dink finish because it always came with the most success. Um, I think he was off the charts good. However... If we're talking compared to Rooney, Omri, Aguero and Suarez, I think he's just that little bit below, despite the fact that he's a Ballon d'Or winner, which none of the others were. Um, yeah. I, again, I think he's was a little bit below where the other four were. But I loved him as a footballer back when he was at Liverpool. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I just wanted to bring him up so I could bring up the well done, he's 13. Um, <laughs> I came here with autobiography stuff, mentality stuff. Well done, who's 13? <laughs> that is his highlight. Um, another, I will say as well, a name you mentioned, who is my probably my personal favourite striker, is Ruud van Nistelrooy. Um, pure fox in the box. Every single one of his Premier League goals was from inside the penalty area. That is a true striker. Yeah. Uh... And what I loved about him was, uh, listen to Sir Alex Ferguson's autobiography, he basically said, when we won the title, Ruud van Nistelrooy didn't give a shit. All he did was run inside the dressing room to check if, I think it was Thierry Henry, Thierry Henry has scored two, because then he would have lost uh, in the Golden Boot race, and he didn't give a shit about the title, he cared about the Golden Boot race. And that's the kind of mentality he had. So I think he was a proper striker. Like, all he cared about was scoring goals. Um, yeah, I love Ruud van Nistelrooy. But again, brilliant striker, wonderful record. Problem is that quite a lot of people have had wonderful records. We haven't even spoken about Didier Drogba. Really, really impossibly difficult to play against. Big match player. Didn't get a hat full of goals or nearly as much as he should have, but what a wonderful striker he was as well. Yeah, big game player as well. Like his record in cup finals was incredible. Um, scored in a few FA Cup finals, the Champions League final that Chelsea won in 2012. Um, he was incredible for that side. He was like talismanic in that Chelsea side that 
under Mourinho were unstoppable for a few years. Um, Andy Cole, we haven't mentioned as well. Like his yeah. record, again, we're talking back sort of the earlier, like the first sort of 10 to 12 years of the Premier League where um, probably it was a little bit easier, but, and he did it at several clubs as well. United, City, Newcastle, like he was fantastic everywhere he went. Um, and another player, not, not a striker that I, that I wanted to mention, um, talking back about midfielders here was Gianfranco Zola um, because I loved Gianfranco Zola. Like I wouldn't put him in the top top echelon of Premier League players, but how classy he was um, as a, yeah. just to watch. He was fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Zola was wonderful, but not quite in the top echelons for me, and that's why he didn't get a mention. But definitely worth it. I think a player that was better than Zola at what he did was Eric Cantona. Um, obviously had the arrogance to boots, but what a he changed the trajectory of that Manchester United team, and that celebration will always be iconic as well. And that chip goal, thing oh, of beauty. That was so good, but not as good as karate kicking someone in the crowd at Sellers <laughs> Park. Agreed. Cool. So it looks like we are decided on the same. I didn't even use that one. I, I one favor I had. Um, that's a shame. But. <laughs> Uh, so you, have to, you have to keep it in the bank for whatever we yeah. decide to do next. Yeah, I, I think I will. Um, so our best Premier League team of all time is Shamichael in goal, Gary Neville right back, Ashley Cole left back, Terry and company as centre-backs, Ryan Giggs as left mid, David Beckham as right mid, Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard in midfield, so far, we are just talking about England's golden generation, basically. Um, then Rooney and Henri up front. So we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of England's golden generation in our all-time Premier League 11. Sven Goran Eriksson, I know you're listening. You <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure he will be absolutely devastated by that. Um, as you say, he's an avid listener. So that will really, really hurt him deep down inside. Yeah, I'm sure he will. Awesome. My last last thing we should probably round this off with. Who's the manager? Sir Alex Ferguson. Sorry. No, no. I, I know you're going to say David Moyes. No, no. no I was not. I was not going to say David Moyes. Um, I was yeah, going to say Evram Grant. <laughs> There's no doubt that Sir Alex Ferguson is the greatest Premier League manager of all time. Um, Arsene Wenger, if he hadn't stayed on so long, might be in contention, but he just completely outstayed his welcome at Arsenal, whereas Sir Alex Ferguson left on a high, winning a league when he had no place to. Uh, don't get me wrong, he's responsible for a lot of the trouble Man U found themselves in since, uh, but I don't think you can deny the greatest Premier League manager of all time, in my opinion. Yeah, there's. it's just a no-brainer. Um, you could probably potentially argue um, that Pep could, if he had the longevity okay. that Alex Ferguson has, then he like if he stays at City for another like 10 years, then you never know. But one, two, three, four, is it? No, no Champions League, though. Um, I would argue Mourinho over Pep. Yeah, I mean, I'm just talking, if, if we looked in 10 years' time and Mourinho had been at City all this time... But like Ferguson won thirteen Premier League titles, mm -hmm. um, 
then add on about five or six FA Cups, League Cups, Champions League um, and two Champions League titles as well. Like, just unbelievable. It's the longevity that gets me. It's the being able to refresh the squad and still be quality. Because if you look at his teams, the 99 treble winning team and then the 2008, 2019, I actually think was better than that. I mean, they threw money around like City do now, and actually like United do now, actually. Um, <laughs> they still th threw money around way more than anyone else around them, but they did build fantastic teams. Um, the problem is that he tried a third time and failed miserably, putting all his stock in players like Anderson, and he basically left David Moyes with no hope whatsoever uh, coming into that side. But... Not taking away from the job he did when he was there because to refresh the team twice really well was a huge achievement. Probably even more than twice. If you look back like the early 90s as well when he really came yeah. in, like there was that era, then there was the late 90s, then there was the mid-2000s. Like it, just, it, just, it was cyclical. And then even again, like his last Premier League title was 2012-13. So that was 20 years after his first. Crazy, isn't it? Fantastic. And actually, if you look at the teams he competed against as well, the uh, Arsenal Invincibles were one of them. The Chelsea Mourinho team was one of them. Um, I don't think they would have won nearly as many titles if they were up against Pep City or Klotz Liverpool, but that's a debate for another day. So, yeah, Ferguson as a manager. We'll round it off there. Thank you all for listening if you've actually stuck with us this long. Hope you're all enjoying the football-related content, but we'll be back with an FPL season review next week. And you can find us on Twitter. Yep, yeah, you can find us on Twitter at Big at the Back. Um, you will find... We're still very active on there during the off-season. Um, trying not to focus too much on the upcoming season as things stand because we've got plenty of time. We've still got about six weeks until the season starts. Um, so we're trying not to focus too heavily on that. We're just trying to keep it fun and entertaining during the off-season. I'm sure once FPR actually goes live, we'll start with a few drafts and things like that, but we've still got loads of time to worry about that. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Higgins92, Tom's at TomMadden92. Um, and yeah, don't forget to like and subscribe on YouTube. Hit that notification bell so you know whenever one of our new videos goes live. And you can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Um, so yeah, hit us up wherever you can. Awesome. Thank you all for listening. See you all next week.